The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome and the passage Kevin read. When I read this passage again this week, the first thing I thought was, this is kind of like a Christian manifesto. The Cambridge Dictionary defines a manifesto as a written statement of a person or group's beliefs, aims, and policies, especially their political beliefs. Political? I think we need to remember that this is a political time in which Paul is writing. And the gospel is about politics, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. Paul is reminding Christians that they are citizens of a different rule and reign. And as such, they are to act it. They are to remember that their ethics are to be interwoven with their theology. As followers of Jesus, they, we, are to live as reflections of Christ and the life and teachings he taught. Most scholars agree that Paul was not writing to the church at Rome regarding specific problems that they were experiencing, as some of his other letters clearly reflect. Rather, this is a teaching that may have spread to members of the church in other places. It is general instruction on what it means to live out the love that we have received from God through Jesus the Christ. Paul is calling for the church to be a community that practices genuine love, agape love. And here he tries to lay out some of the many ways that should happen. Prior to this passage, Paul has urged members of the church to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. This passage then is an explanation of how that plays out in our behavior. Renewed mind equals renewed behavior. Now, some of you are aware that one of the tasks I've taken on as my mom has experienced health problems is the feeding of my family. Admittedly, I am not a cook. So I've had to learn to read recipes and follow directions. Friends send me links to crock pot meals. Yes, you're always welcome to send me links. I don't mind. And they often take me to a blog. It's interesting that those are not just factual delineation of steps. Instead, they show pictures and offer hints and spell out exactly how to do what the recipe calls for. And trust me, for me, that's a good thing. In some ways, this passage is Paul trying to spell out how it is that we are to accomplish transformation and renewed behavior, much like those recipes. Reverend Elizabeth Shively writes, Paul continues to call for the kind of behavior produced by a renewed mind, and that is the proper response to the mercies of God. He writes that we are to let love be genuine and then show what this love looks like. Generally, true love is summed up like this, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. The church in the 21st century struggles to live the gospel way, the gospel life. Like the early church, we wrestle with how to stand in contrast to the larger culture. How do we keep from being co-opted into that which God would not necessarily define as good? Eliezer Fernandez writes, driven by the desire for relevance and seduced by the much-coveted three Bs of success, building, budget, and bodies, members, churches have played footsie with the dominant culture without realizing soon enough that they have gone to bed 
with the culture of domination, privilege, accumulation, and consumption. He continues, what the church really has to offer is an invitation to a new community, a community that nurtures believers to live differently and to live out their calling both within their faith community and the wider society. Identity and mission are central here. Those who live in the power of the crucified Christ embody virtues and practices that promote life-giving relations, not just within the church, but within the wider society, and especially with strangers. I think Paul would suggest that there are far too many who would wear the label Christian who don't live up to that label. Christ-like love is both vertical and horizontal. We can't just bask in the love that God lavishes upon us and our reciprocal love. Real love reaches out to the world around it. The Christian church is to be an example of a mirror of the grace and mercy that God extends to us. And so Paul lays out some very, very difficult things we need to be practicing if we're to mirror the love of Christ. There are something like 33 imperatives that Kevin read in this passage. Only with the help of the Spirit and the grace of God could we possibly begin to live out this life that overcomes evil with good? If we are to transform into the people God is calling us to be, we are called to sacrifice. And sacrifice is not a pleasant word. Sacrifice. We're not talking about burnt offerings here like we read about in the Old Testament. We're talking about doing without, giving up, losing. Instead of seeking revenge... We are to bless those who do us wrong and leave vengeance to God. That's what Paul says. But if you knew what he said, what she did. No way I'm letting that go. They humiliated me. I have a right to get back what they took from me and then some. But we are to sacrifice that sweet taste of revenge and show others that there really is a better way. Do not repay evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. But he has it coming. They have every right to take him to the train station. He betrayed them. Do unto others what they do to you. Jesus hung on the cross and did not respond to violence with violence. And so we are to be like Jesus. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to eat. What? They don't deserve that. Why should I give up what's mine for someone like that? Why on earth would I care for those who make my life miserable, difficult, painful? Is it worth the cost if it might further the kingdom of God? Could it be that in the end, love really does win? The other truth about the more excellent way is that it requires humility. Paul is writing that Christians are to be transformed into humble people, people who don't see themselves as better than others. Elsewhere, Paul wrote about this kind of love we are to share, to be. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage, and so on. So often we think that what's mine is mine. I earned it. I deserve it. We forget that the goodness in our lives is a blessing, unmerited, unearned. It is God who gives us life, who gives us breath, who gives us agency. 
We are to live out and share the grace and mercy that we know through Jesus and share it with others. We are to live as transformed people, loving, humble, peaceful. The church is the vehicle through which we learn to do that. Paul explains that we are to love one another with mutual affection. Now, that doesn't mean we have to have all warm and fuzzy feelings for everyone, but it does mean that we forgive, we give the benefit of the doubt, we work for the good of the other, even if he or she is not your bestie. Outdo one another in showing honor. That person may not think exactly like you, feel like you do, but we are to extend to them respect and strive to stand on mutual ground. The church is a place where together we find zeal, enthusiasm, and together we serve the Lord. We are to hope together, pray together, sing together, worship together. Elsewhere, Paul explains that we are all part of one body, and when one part suffers, the whole suffers. We are to take care of each other in whatever ways that looks like. And folks, y'all are good at doing that, I have to say. And then we are to take that same love and service out into the world. We're to show them that God's way is different from the way of the world. Turn the other cheek. Give them your coat as well. The first shall be last. Love one another. None of this is easy. But if I can learn to cook, God can transform us into the people Paul entreats us to be. Thanks be to God. Amen.